I love Disneyland and happy endings. I'm all about white hats and hate to see good lose out in the end. I've never enjoyed movies or books where good and evil are ambiguous. And I'm not big on anti-heroes either. I don't mind edgy, but don't think I'm going to be on the side of a bad guy just because he's the protagonist. I like it when the good guys win, and I know who they are. I have a soft spot for quirky weirdos with hearts of gold being oppressed by the hypocrite with perfect teeth. This is probably why the next video I made involved the band and me fighting Nazis. Welcome, everybody, whatever you're doing at whatever time of day. Um, I am Christian Overfield. And I am Martha Guzman, and we are the hosts of the Rockstar Autobiography Podcast. Join us as we review autobiographies by the greatest and most famous musicians in history. That was Pat Benatar. That's whose words I read to you this fine afternoon from her book, Between a Heart and a Rock Place, which was released about 10 years ago. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, it has been a while since maybe you and I and all of us have been in a room together. Um, we had to renegotiate our contracts, though, with management, and we held, <laughs> we held out for what we we're worth. We had to value ourselves and respect ourselves accordingly. So I'm sorry yes. it's been Ma a while. Manage man management being Christian and myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Martha, I, you know what I enjoy that you keep that fiction going? Because we don't want them to know how much we actually make doing this, which is a lot. Uh, yes, of course. We can't let, a let in on that. Come on, Christian. It's a ton. It's a, in fact, I think we, I, I don't know if you got it, Martha, but the advertisement that we could be making $32 a month in sponsorship. So we are really breaking through barriers uh, with this <laughs> gravy train that is our show. But we're back, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad Martha's here, and I'm glad you're here, most importantly, as we discuss Pat Benatar, who is a, a staple of the 80s. And I'm going to just right away hand it to you, Martha, and, and see what your thoughts of Pat Benatar were prior to reading this book about her. Well, Christian... Uh, I have uh, always liked Pat Benatar. As you said, I mean, she was a fixture of the 80s, and I liked her music. Uh, some of her songs are some of my karaoke greatest hit songs that I sing periodically, and so I was very familiar with her and, and her music, uh, but I, I didn't know a whole lot about her. Uh, that was, it was interesting to learn some things about her that I didn't know. And like I said, I really didn't know a whole lot other than some of her music. So um, that's how I came into, into this book, just trying to learn more about who she was um, and having just the knowledge of, of the music that I, that I do know. Okay. And you? Okay. Well, I, uh, I don't really have much more to say about my Pat Benatar experience than you do, you know, except for her 80s presence. Um, I, in one brief period of my life, I did know somebody um, who basically grew up with her kids, though. And oh. so after school, like Pat Benatar was the mom that picked her up as well as her own children. So she, you know, spent many days in Pat Benatar's house and knowing Pat Benatar is just one of the moms in the neighborhood, which is crazy, right? Was she nice? 
Yes, I heard that uh, she, I was told that she was very nice, super normal. And it was funny, that's one of the very first things that Pat Benatar says in her book is that when yes. people meet her, they say, wow, you're just so normal. Uh, and so I had been primed a little bit for that by that person yes. who, who knew Pat Benatar and grew up with their kids. Um, and unfortunately for Pat Benatar, not unfortunately for her, I don't know, I take that back. But another thing I, I brought into this is right before we decided to read her book, um, she made the public announcement that she, at, I guess, current concerts, she decided she isn't going to be singing Hit Me With Your Best Shot. I don't know if you heard about that. Did you hear about that? I did that? not. I did not. Okay. No. So she announced that, I guess she's been performing like as of late, and she announced to, to people she would not be performing that song anymore. And the reason she wouldn't be performing it, do you even know? Could you even guess, Martha, before I tell you? I'm sure I can. It's probably because of all the gun violence. It's because of the school shooting that happened, the most recent one that happened. Right, I, 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 can, I can see that. Okay, and she said she couldn't in, in good conscience sing that song. And I will just say that did not uh, strike a positive note with me when I heard that about her saying that. Um, I just, I saw a comedian recently and talked about people who, uh, they, as soon as some, I don't know, whatever tragedy happens in America, whatever thing happens they go right to their social media and they post you know my thoughts are with the people of whatever thing is happening and he said and i thought i agreed with him completely that people who do that are basically saying hey don't forget about me right now and that's just like it or not my my take on her decision i don't think anybody in a million years would have made that connection and so when i heard that she had sort of publicly announced a connection between the two I just thought this is somebody who's making it about themselves. That was my take. That's just, it's always going to be my attitude towards a, uh, the way in which celebrities handle certain things and do things. Um, so those are the two things I, I brought in, in going into this. And of course, a kind of sweet spot that it is the eighties, you know, uh, and I got to grow up during that time. I realized that Kids today are just glorifying the 80s more and more and more and more culture, stranger things, the whole thing, you know, the 80s. And it really was super awesome. It really was as great as people think it was. It really was. It and, really was. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, There were parts of it that weren't, but it, other parts were. Right. And she was certainly a part of that, the 80s. So it was, you know, I brought a mixture of things going into Pat Benatar's. I think she just performed or was going to perform or did perform at uh, the Orange County Fairgrounds. I mm. think she was going to have a a show there or, or had, I don't know. But I, I do remember seeing something about that. I do also, I did also know, I should say, that she and her husband, uh, her guitar playing songwriting husband had been a long standing item. And I, I did somehow become aware of that and how unique that was in, in rock and roll circumstances. Oh, I did not know that. That was uh, that was new information for me as as we read the book. I didn't Yeah. Know. I really didn't know a whole lot about her. I did know before reading the book, I did know um her ethnic background. I knew she was part Polish. That's one thing I did know about her. Did not know that. Well, okay, let's get into it. Um, you know, uh did you I I, I do like the thumbs up thumbs down overallness of the thumbs up, thumbs down, Siskel and Eberdeen. You know, you had to go one way or another. Martha, what would you do? Up, up or down? Up or down? Up. 
up. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, 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 I think because I learned things. I, I honestly did not know that much about her, and she did come across like a nice person. And it was just interesting to read about that time from her perspective. And in part, you know why, Christian? Because I'll tell you something. I always thought of her, uh, yes, she was part of that whole 80s era and, you know, her videos were constantly being shown everywhere. Uh, But for some reason, I don't know if I'm even going to make sense when I say this or how it's going to come across, but for some reason, I felt that she was very different from everyone else. Uh, She wasn't quite you know, a Debbie Harry. She wasn't quite a Madonna. She wasn't like, I would never, uh, she just didn't fit into that category. I felt that she was uniquely herself in a, in a very sort of different way, even though she was part of that whole era. And, you know, she was popular during the time when those people were also uh, popular. And so I wanted to learn more about her. I didn't, I I've never known exactly how to categorize her, um, if that makes any sense. Sure. And so reading about her and reading about her background and reading about, you know, sort of everything uh, as it led to her becoming who she eventually became, uh, that was interesting to me uh, because I really didn't. And, you know, after reading the book, I still feel similarly. Uh, I think it's that. And I don't want to beat this to death here, but it was almost like that normalcy about her that it was almost like she didn't have the rock star persona that we've read about. You know, she wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't into drugs or drinking. I mean, she's very normal, which I found kind of refreshing, to be honest with you. Uh, So I liked it. I liked the book overall. I mean, there were some things where I thought, you know, as there always is, right? You know, there's always something and you're just kind of like, oh my goodness. But but for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, and it was a quick read too. It was a, a quick book to read. Yes, it was definitely the fastest read. I, for me, I think it went, it was just like lightning. It was over. I mean, I read it fast, yeah. very quickly. Yeah, it was very, yeah, same for me. It was the easiest read. So the more, you know, I, we've read, I've lost track of how many of these books we've read. And I wonder- you 40. Know, the, the, okay, for us a lot. So the thumbs up, thumbs down, it's like, am I ultimately saying after I've experienced time with this person, do I like them? You know, I never know when I'm at, when I ask you, Martha, thumbs up or thumbs down, I don't even know exactly what I'm asking you to give a thumbs up or down to. Um, Because, I mean, we're always learning stuff, you know, because it's by, it's just a new book. It's a new life. We're always going to learn stuff. I guess what I'm asking is, is this somebody you want to have at, a, at your dinner party? Yes. Okay. I would, so, I would want to hang out with Pat Benatar at a dinner party. <laughs> I love that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to put that on a sticker. <laughs> I would. <laughs> and then I'd sing for her. I'd sing for her. Okay. <laughs> I had to remind myself uh, uh, that, I have, that I have liked lots of books. Because I don't like being negative, but this was a hard no for me. And I did not like, really? yeah, I do not want Pat Benatar at my dinner party at all. Tell me why. Because I felt like this, <laughs> oof, wow. I think this, she, this, the book and the, di- the dynamics of what we read about was very similar to Debbie Harry's. 
in that the husband was 90% of the talent and she is 10%, but she's got the name for whatever reason. And I felt like to be him or to be around her would be exhausting to keep validating the notion that she is Pat Benatar. Um, I think she is a talented singer and that's where it ends. But I think she thinks she's more than that and extremely creative extremely this and she's not i didn't get it at all the book i came away thinking what i felt before that the husband is extremely talented he is he's like this multi-instrumentalist talent and i did appreciate that that pat benatar herself says it throughout the book just how incredibly talented he is um but uh, why am i not reading about him then and i felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy throughout the book that was exhausting (laughs) About and I really I gotta tell you so there's a show right now Martha I love I'm not I'm not unique in this it's called Reservation Dogs after I've watched the show I decided I like to read about things after I've experienced them if I'm interested in them and I, I you know Googled the show and I couldn't find a single article about the show that didn't mention oh it's filmed on you know Oklahoma every single member of the crew is Native American. I just couldn't read an article, Native American, Native American, first Native American show, Native American. And I just thought that was so condescending and offensive. I'm like, can't it just be a great show? Because it's a great show. I thought to keep pointing out the ethnicity and culture of the people was was just exhausting and irritating and really patronizing to the creators. And I thought that she suffered from that exhaustively. And particularly, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy reading it, right? And, oh, every other word is about how she's a female rocker, a female rocker. She's a woman rocker, a female rocker, breaking boundaries. And she's such a badass. She's a female rocker. Can't I just... And then simultaneously, she'll say, why do I have to be labeled a female rocker? Can't I just be a rocker? And it was it was just, whoof, the quantity of that that perfume was just irritating and i just thought going back to my dinner party that's just not a guest i want (laughs) at my table it's tiring you know you seem to want it both ways and every other page i paved the way the sexist male ego the evil guys out there the evil corporate men and i really thought and plus and i i know for the most part i think you have agreed that people who repeatedly tell you how badass they are are so boring. You know, if you have to tell me that you are, if you have to tell me that you're a boundary breaker, you're probably not. And I, right. and I thought, well, I understand that. And I thought, and, and this part, I guess, isn't, isn't fair to her per se, because these memoirs aren't written in a, in a competitively. So she doesn't know about Chrissy Hines story. She doesn't know about Debbie Harry's story, but her story was so G rated compared to theirs. And that's not a criticism of her. Because like you, I thought there was something novel and interesting interesting about how um, sober, literally, she was throughout the entirety of the story. But to just keep reading about what a badass rocker she is when she's really singing songs, all of which were written by other people. I mean, all of them. She really is just someone who has a great voice and sings other people's music. And I don't know how that correlates into badass, boundary-breaking rocker. And I got tired of it. Well, I think that, you know, because there aren't that many women singers to begin with, right? And so especially during the time that she was coming up, I mean, I think it's, there's validity in 
in talking about that and that it's important to talk about that because I think it's part of her story. So I don't see that as as a bad thing. I think that for and I and I do understand what you're saying, you know, I think that if you want to be something, you know, you should just want to be that without whatever label. Correct. But I, I do agree with that, you know, to some degree as well. But you've also got to remember that when things have been dominated by one group and someone comes along uh, to be a part of that, you know, there is something to that that I feel needs to be shared for the people that are like that, that maybe haven't had a chance to and who haven't seen themselves be able to do it either. So I think in that, I don't think that there's anything wrong with her, you know, sharing her experiences as a woman um, and what she went through and, and how it was difficult for her, you know, because that's still, that's still today. I mean, that's the case still today, you know, for women, regardless of whether they're rock stars or anything else. But with that said, you know, um, she does credit her husband for a lot of, you know, she, in fact, one thing that she does say early on is that it, it's not I, you know, it's we, we did this together. Uh, and, and throughout the book, she does credit him with pushing her and with, you know, really making her strive to get to new heights uh, musically, melodically, and all of that. You know, she talks about instances where she feels that she just can't reach certain notes but he's constantly pushing her to to reach for that, right? And to and to push herself harder and harder, which she says she sometimes fights against, and she tells him that it's too much for her. But he he persists, um, and so you know. But but I, I do understand what you're what you're saying, you know, to some degree. I mean, I, I totally I can see what what you're referring to. I don't think, however. That at a dinner party, she would necessarily just talk about that. I hope and not. So I, God, I hope and not. So, and so I think because, partly because of that, I think that I, I would want her at my dinner uh, because she does seem like such a nice, cool, normal person, you know, who just happens to be a rock star, as she says herself. So um, I, I didn't find that, that didn't, that didn't put me off. See. This is if I was actually a little leery about talking about this book. It's like, oh no, because so much of the book is that attitude uh, it is. and about her her beliefs uh, about it all. And I, I I agree with you. And I thought it before I even we talked about this. That to the extent these stories and things happen to her, that is her story. But you said, as a matter of fact, these things are still going on today. I disagree with that. I don't think you can have it both ways. I mean, how long is this complaint going to go on? It just seems to be never ending. And I, I look, see, it's difficult. She, she, Pat Benatar decided to raise the, this issue in the room. And it's like, we can't not talk about it because she did bring it up. Her whole book is, is just loaded and laced with it. And to ignore it is to ignore, I feel like the, the, the overall gist of the book. Yeah, that's fair. And it's it's contentious. It's contentious, you know. I, to read, and you know, Blondie was doing it before she did. She makes it sound like she was the pioneering breakthrough. And again, to go back to, okay, I mean, we're going all over the place, but she well, she was doing it differently than Blondie. I mean, for one, you know, she she was not, um, you know, she wasn't in the scene that Blondie 
and that Debbie Harry, you know, that Debbie Harry specifically was right. involved in. I mean, she really wasn't. I mean, her scene was very different. Um, so in some ways, it was different for her. You know, she wasn't partaking in sort of this partying scene in, in the degree in which other women were okay. um, that we've read about, specifically, you know, like Chrissy Hind and, and Debbie Harry. Okay, but what are but, you saying that by that? But, well, what I'm saying is that her story is different from those. Oh, I know and that, so but I think, how does that make her a pioneer? Because she didn't... Well, she... Well, no, not because of that, but she was. She was... How? In it, uh, because she was one of those first few women during the 80s doing it, Christian. There weren't... You know, there was a group of women in the 80s who were really skyrocketing to fame, and she happened to be one of them. So in that sense, she was um, a pioneer. I don't see for, it. For other women. That's And that's okay, you know? But, but I don't disagree with that. With what she says, I mean, I do think that I think all of those women during that time specifically were really breaking boundaries for other women in rock, um, and so she happened to be one of them. I I don't think that what she was saying was untrue or that it wasn't uh, valid. I don't. Yeah, I just totally disagree. I feel like you could make the bigger argument that the songwriters and the husband were taking were the more uh, radical ones by saying we're going to back a female, we're going to give our talent talent to a female singer then and <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with this woman i mean so she there do you remember the section where she says i can't why can't i i don't want to be female rocker i just want to be a rocker right but then she simultaneously goes right. to the grammy awards and has no problem accepting an award for female artist there's just no consistency at all well well i think but there is. I mean, I think the part that maybe, you know, I, I think sometimes for men, you know, and, and I think this is even the, I'll say this. I think that for men, even the men that consider themselves to be, and I've said this to men personally that I know who think of themselves as being, you know, very open-minded and, and very progressive, that even the most progressive and open-minded man at the end of the day does not know what it's like to be a woman. Well, and, and vice so, versa. Exactly. But so that, exactly. We, we, and we, that doesn't get well, us precisely, anywhere. Well, precisely because of that, it's that it is important for these sorts of things to be discussed so that we can try as men and women as people to understand each other a little bit better. And so I think that, you know, I totally, when she says I didn't want to be seen as a female singer, but she talks about sort of all of the things that she had, to, that she accomplished as a woman and the struggles and some of the challenges that she had to put up with in order to get to where she did. That is all part of it, Christian. And when women say, I don't want to be labeled just as a woman this or a woman that, it's all because no. it's still... No, listen I, to me. I am, but I, I am. This is what it comes down to. You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to pave the way. You shouldn't have to fight off men who are being misogynistic and sexist towards you to get to where you want to be. That's what I think. That's... That's at the crux of this as women, regardless whether you're a rock star or something else. You shouldn't have to be the woman, etc. You shouldn't have to be the this, etc. But because it's so, because these are fields, and this has been a field that's been predominantly uh, been filled by men, 
it is a different challenge. And I imagine that for all of these women, they had to go through hurdles that men didn't have to by the mere fact that they were female. And so, yes, I imagine that, you know, she probably felt like, I don't want to be known as a female rocker. I just want to be known as a rocker. But unfortunately, because of the way that things were, she did have to fight that as a female. And she did have to make that, um, you know, get through all of those hurdles as a woman. So you can't deny that part of it. And so I completely, I, I, I think that if you ask most women if they can understand that, they would understand it. But I think it's sometimes difficult for men to fully comprehend that. And again, I don't think it's, I think it's all men. I think they have a hard time understanding that, you know, um, in part because of the way that things have always been. There's the section where she, she's being approached by the uh, Chrysalis, the, band, the company, right? I just can't wait to talk about them. And so they want to, they're discussing photographs for the first album, okay? And this was the first time where I was aligned completely with the recording company from start to finish. And so they're showing her pictures and all the pictures are just of her for the cover of the album. And she's upset, like, well, where's the band? I, I wanted the band included. And I'm like, Pat Benatar, this is precisely the issue I'm having with you as I read this book. You, you expect the company to treat you and the band as if you're all a band, but you go by the moniker Pat Benatar. And you're, you're confused that the band's not in the pictures? I mean, Blondie, at least, that's actually, that's not her name. That's the name of the band, Blondie. That's not the case here. You're, you are Pat Benatar. You could have named the band anything you wanted. You know, you could have named it, I would like to have Pat Benatar at my dinner party. And that still would have been a band name. You see what I'm saying? But you, why are you confused that the record company is just going to put you on the front? And that's also creating contention within the band. If you think that, what do you think? The, of course, the band's going to be relegated to maybe a photograph at the back. And that's going to breed, I'm surprised it didn't breed more resentment. You didn't write one song on the album and it's your face there and you're complaining. So that's, that. I think a broader issue was just, I felt like there was a hypocrisy of which I think she was unaware. And that I just, once I picked up on that pattern, it carried throughout the book. Wow. I did not I did not read it that way. And you know what's interesting? That moment where she talks about um, how she didn't want to be the only person with, the, like, she didn't want it just to be her. She wanted the band, right? right? Mm -hmm. It reminded me of a moment in Chrissy Hines' book where she talked about that. But to your point, I mean, the difference being that with Chrissy Hind, it wasn't Chrissy Hind. It was the band. The pretenders. Yeah. It was the pretenders. But I, I, that moment, it, I remember thinking, oh, this is, you know, very similar to the case that, uh, that Chrissy, you know, brought up or the point that she brought up with the record company when they were saying, oh, no, it's just going to be you. And she said, no, it's not. It's my band, me and my band. It's all of us. But yes, I mean, in this instance, it was it was a little different. I mean, I I thought it was cool that she wanted them along with her because, you know, clearly they were very integral in her in her success and and especially her husband, uh, who at that point he wasn't her husband quite yet, but right. they were already involved. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I think, you know, she, 
I didn't I didn't read it quite in the same way in which in which you did. And, and again, I don't think I would have had she not pressed so hard on the quote unquote unfairness posture of life and her experience. And had she not been hitting that button the whole time, then I don't think I would have been reading with the same lens. Then it's sort of like, okay, well, then I'm now holding you to a standard that you've established, I guess. And it, I just kept finding all these, you know, she's driving out of her lane without putting the blinker on. I'm like, okay, I mean, you can't have it both ways. Anyway, but I wanted to, I think a good segue is her, the similarity to the to Chrissy Hine and, and um, Debbie Harris and that all these childhoods that these three had were, they seemed great. <laughs> to me and i maybe i'm sure i'm romanticizing a kind of uh 1950s-esque upbringing you know the same way people glorify in the 80s i've always felt that way about the 50s so whenever i read about experience of the childhood during that time i i i read about it with wonder and awe and it sounds like a really great i don't <laughs> yeah i do i do i do not <laughs> I don't, where did she, she grew, I don't even remember where she grew up. I'm, she grew up, she she was born in Brooklyn. Okay. And then her family moved uh, from there to, uh, oh, that's it sounds right. like they moved to a suburb. That's they right. moved to a suburb. Yeah. With money problems, because the parents aren't budgeting, I guess. Um, uh, correct, correct. Well, what happens is that her maternal grandmother and her aunt and uncle right. uh, end up moving with them. Which sounds great. Bed. That sounds awesome. I just. Because. Because her her grandfather passed away, and so they they moved in. Which yes, I I'm all about big extended family. Yeah, it's the Mexican in me. So there was a portion of the book that I did love, I, because a part of her story that was riveting to me. Um, it's I think it's very exciting uh, every time I read it, no matter how often. When she's singing. And she likes to, I guess, perform in public. And she does this in, in, a, in a public space where a, a trained professional gets to hear her. Yes. And that moment is, I just, it gives, it raises the hair on the back of my neck. So a, a, a woman named Georgia Ruel, or Ru, Ruel, approaches her. It was actually a fourth grade school, her fourth grade uh, school choir. Okay. Yeah, so this woman hears Pat Benatar sing amidst a variety of children and approaches her parents, I believe, and says, do you, I'm quoting, do you know about this child? And I just got the chills when I read that. And I just, in that moment, basically a woman has announced that your, your life is going to be different. You have a gift. And we know what's coming, but Pat Benatar doesn't. She's terrified, like, oh, no, my trouble. Because cryptically, the yeah. woman says, I think she says, I'll call your parents and talk about it later. And I'm going to call your parents now. Right. And that's got to be freaky for a kid. And, <laughs> you know, and she basically says, your child is earmarked for something different. And that's, I love the story of the mentor who takes over and identifies the talent, scouts it, sees it, and says, I'm taking you on. And I just love that the next couple of years of her life, her, you know what it is, Martha? I, yeah. I envy people like Pat Benatar who have third parties approach them to say, I'm announcing your identity. I'm telling you your role. This is who you are in, in, in the script. You are a singer. This is your, to have somebody tell you why you're here on earth. You know what I'm saying? It's so exciting <laughs> to, to me to read about. And I love that she's mentored and she she says that, that the next couple of years of her life, 
And, you know, when you discover, I think, who you are in that regard, it comes at the exclusion of other things. You know, she's not playing sports. She's not doing this. She's not doing that. She's just singing and getting better. And you get a sense. It's like a, a training montage in Rocky that this trainer has taken her on and is improving her, improving her, teaching her, making her better. And what's great about this story is the part two of it towards which it's all leading, okay, which is the audition at Juilliard. And what I love, yes. okay, what I love about that story, Martha, is I think even people who aren't into the arts have still vaguely heard of Juilliard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, ha- yes, it has yes. this mystique about it to get into Juilliard. There's no greater arts college, arts experience, you know, towards which you can aspire. And I love that you get the sense that all of this training is leading towards an audition. And I mean, she does a really good job of conveying just how difficult it is to get the paperwork together, <laughs> right, for this audition. I, mean, I don't even know what's involved. Forget a normal job interview with the cover letter and references. You get a sense that you had to go, you know, find bark off certain trees in Alaska. Then you had to go do this. You could, just to, for this audition at Juilliard. And what I really was painful to read about as, as somebody who's not 23, but is now older, is I got a sense, Martha, of how much of Georgia rule herself she had invested in Pat Benatar. Yes. So when what comes next occurs, oh, it was really hard to hear. It was basically just, oh. that was, that was the most difficult sentence to me of the whole book. Okay. Well, yes. And so, and what so, so, so is, tell people, yes, tell people what happens. So what happens is that she has this high school boyfriend. Mistake. And <laughs> oh my goodness. She has this high school boyfriend and this is all happening during the Vietnam era. Uh-huh. And so uh, the boyfriend is very worried that like many others that they know that he might be getting drafted to Vietnam. And so, uh, you know, he starts becoming very, it sounds like he started becoming very clingy towards her and and starts, and starts telling her, you can't leave me. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we can't be apart. I might be going to Vietnam. I got to interrupt you real quick because I want your input right at this moment. I want your, I thought of you, like I need somebody to explain this to me. What does the fact of his going to Vietnam have to do with her going to Juilliard or not. He's going to be in Vietnam. So why is he making that demand of her, Martha? Can you tell me? He's making that demand of her because when you are young and you are in love, you think that that person that you are with at that moment in time is your entire world. And any bit of time extra time that you can spend with this person who may be leaving. Oh, I didn't get that. You've got to make every single moment before that person leaves. Oh, I didn't get that. You've got to make it last. Oh, wow. And so it comes to the, and it's a disregard towards everything else going on in your life. It's that moment. It's this person yeah. that you think you're going to be with for the rest of your life, who at that moment in time, your life revolves around. And so, and you know, I think 
all of us at one point or another have done something foolish like that uh, for someone that we loved or we thought we loved. And in this case, Pat Benatar does the one thing Oof. that to me, it absolutely broke my it heart did. To it because, it me. because she's been, he, this happened when she first meets this woman, her mentor, she meets her when she's in the sixth grade. I, I spoke incorrectly before Christian. It wasn't the fourth grade. The fourth okay. grade is when she first starts singing in choir. Okay. It's in the sixth grade that this woman comes into her life and says, you're mine. You're going to be mine when you mm -hmm. get to high school. But she sees so much talent in her that she's like, no, we're not going to wait. We're going to start now so that by the time you get to high school, you are going to be so trained and you're just going to be amazing. And then we're getting you to Juilliard. And so that was the plan all along. So she's been now doing this. You know, she started at sixth grade. Oh my now gosh. she's a six, senior in high school. Six years yes. of her life. Yes. And she tells Georgia. Oh, I can't. <laughs> I'm not. I am not going to apply. And at that moment, Christian Bean Having been a young woman in love like that, like Pat Benatar, right. but now, and, and having being, been an and, adult. And, and now being a grown woman, yeah. all I could think, I was, I was both of them. Yes, you know, at that yes, moment in time, yes. I was both of them. But I was mostly Georgia. Oh, me too. Because, so was be, I. Because I wanted to say, honey, you think this is going to last? It's not. I promise you, it's not. Do for yourself and then come back to this right. later. If it's meant to be, it'll be waiting for I you. Know. And if it's not, it won't. And but she's not dissuaded. Uh, and she doesn't apply. You, and that was the end of You that. know, I just everything you said, uh, it was the story was too painfully relatable. I yes. I could understand. I understood how uh, somebody that age, and I know I was that way. You can't see beyond your nose. You just you can't, and you could see. And I just it was excruciating to think of this woman Georgia, <laughs> who had invested so much time in her. Yes, and I wish Pat Benatar had gone further into what that wound must have been like if she'd ever contacted Georgia again. If she'd ever apologized. If she even just said, "Hey, I understand." And she says that Georgia says, you, you must be joking. You can't mean it. And she even breaks down in tears trying to yes. get it. And you get a sense, and I'm sure I'm projecting here, that Georgia, it's like Georgia's attempt to, to rectify her own life. Or, And I, again, I'm just making that up. But it's an adult who knows just how much is on the table, how much talent is yes. at play, and how much yes. is being thrown away for absolutely Nothing. And that's exactly what comes to pass. And so yes. I, I didn't, I see, I'm glad you explained that. I didn't realize the guy was saying to her, don't go to the audition because I literally want those five hours that you'd be auditioning. I want them with me. I thought he was saying, if you go into Juilliard, you'll be in Juilliard. But, and I couldn't understand, well, you're going to be in Vietnam. That was, part, well, yes. And that was, and that was all part of it, Christian. That was all part of it. It was, I don't want you gone for that time that you're going to be auditioning. But that also means that if you audition, you're good. You're likely going to get accepted. And then you're going to leave me and you won't be with me in these next few months oh, while I'm still here before I'm drafted. So it was oh, so... I didn't bring... I get, but, I'm glad you explained this to me. I honestly didn't. But that's, but that's young love. Well, I, you know, I know that, that part. That's young love. I, that's young love. I know all of that part. I just didn't understand the actual mechanics of why... 
but I, now that you're explaining that to me, I just think she could have told the story. I don't know, but thank you. That's why I asked you, and I'm glad I interrupted because you completely filled in the blanks for me. I did absolutely get the sense of his neediness. And again, you know, at that age, you are that needy. That's how you're. Everyone is yeah. needy at that age, especially I mean, if you're in love. You just, you, oh my you're goodness, just glued physically, glued it's, it's to the other. Especially person. those adolescent years. I mean, that is. If my son, I would hold a gun to his head, drive him out to the desert and say, I don't care. We're going to the audition and you will thank me later. You can hate me now. I don't care. But we're anyway, I really thought that's that's that was the absolute best story to me of her narrative was riveting and a whole movie could have been made just about that. And then, I agree and with then, you, Christian. And then what follows is fascinating because it really gave me the willies, Martha. You and I, it reminded me of... So what comes next is, of course, she doesn't go to the audition. And she, she marries, uh, what's his name? Dennis Benatar. And by the way, she never tells us why she keeps that name. Does she? Did Thank I miss you. It? Thank you. Okay, <laughs> Christian. Okay. Okay. I have to say... I have to say this. So when I realized, because, you know, she had a Polish last name, right. you know, her dad was Polish, her mom right. was Irish, um, but she, she doesn't, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wait, so that was her first husband's last right. name. I just don't understand, A, changing your name when you get married. I mean, I guess whatever people want to do, I think that's wonderful. If you want to change it, change it. If you don't, that don't. But you're divorced now. Why do you still have yeah. your ex-husband's name? I wouldn't. I don't know. Why? why? Why would you? And and But I think part of the reason is because that's eventually the name that she starts off her career with. And I imagine oh, it was just. Okay. She leaves know, that out, though. It, because, yeah, she did leave that out. And I think that was for us to kind of just figure out because, you know, she. I mean, we must say, Christian, that he, he returns from Vietnam three months later. I know. He, and she never tells they, you why. Right. And they, she never tells you why. And she said, but she kind of hints at the fact that she herself is not clear as to exactly what happened, but she no. imagines that it had something to do with PTSD or something like that. Well, because apparently it comes back with a lot of anxiety. Well, but the P- PTSD is by definition subsequent to the event, but he's only there for three correct, months. Correct. But, but she thinks that he might've had the way that I read it. She, the way that she wrote it, it's almost hinting that he might have had like a breakdown or something. And then that's when he comes back. He's got all of this anxiety and PTSD as a result of that. She wasn't, she was very vague about that. She was purposely of, cryptic, vague, of, and it was jarring at times, um, which we'll get to because I thought this part of their story would have made, I, I would have loved to see a film about this part of her life because it was so relatable and real and people making. You know, in your youth, your your fate, unfortunately, when you're most immature is when you're making these massive decisions that split the branches of your tree. And then you're, you oh, know. Oh, my goodness. And so yes. to read about this part of her life was really uh, high stakes. And I, I really liked it. And I loved what comes next is now she's married. So she marries the guy, right? No, but Christian, well, before she marries him, the thing she says as she's about to walk into the church. Right. Where she says, I knew it was a mistake. Yeah, I know. I, I believe her. I believe her. Uh, yes, I just, yes. I think because she didn't let us in at all in the relationship, I was just ambivalent about that big speech she gave about how she knew it was a mistake. And I'm, I'm sure she did. I'm not dismissing that she felt that way. But um, she gets married. She thinks it's a mistake. And what comes next is was riveting to me, Martha. 
she goes to work at a bank. Okay. She gives it up. She gives up the dream. Not yet. I mean, she, you really get a sense that, ooh, I mean, her, her vehicle went off the road of like the path that was carved out for her. So now she's working at a bank and I love that she's honest and says that she loves working at the bank and you get a sense yes. that, <laughs> oh, you get a sense that this anesthetizing drug of predictability and comfort and work at a bank. You like it. It's, you know what I mean? There's something organized about it. Your life can be, you know, uh, all your, the, the remainder of your life can be seen right now. Stay on this road. Keep work, keep counting the dollars, hand out the change, let one week turn into another. You know, it felt like, you know, they talk about sirens who, who lure men to the rocks, right? Conversely, I think that sometimes that the normalcy, the day-to-day, the nine-to-five in and of itself can be a lure. Like, give up on your dreams. Do this instead. And it really reminds. Oh, but where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in that? Well, I know that. But what I'm saying, well, the fun in that is that there's something safe about it. And it reminded me what really was just really so interesting to me is it reminded me of Andy Summers. Because, you you know, when we're reading that Andy Summers book, we... It's subsequent to him having been in the police, released all these albums, toured, being super famous and rich. But he was close when he was out in the valley for like three or four years, (laughs) just giving guitar lessons. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It's like, it's like, you know, if they hadn't course corrected, you know, I think one day turns into another. And I think that is what happened. That's life for most people. And to think, you know, that that was close to Pat Benatar. And then it just took a moment. And I thought that was just as equally interesting that it, she says that a gay coworker takes her to go see a Liza Minnelli concert. Right. And I love, you really got a sense that immediately she comes back to life. Oh, I love yeah. that. I love it. And I too. loved what she said. And I loved what she said I did because too. she says right away, she's at this concert with her two coworkers. Mm-hmm. It was these two coworkers who took her and, and she said that she really didn't want to go at first, but then she thought, oh, you know, right. um, I'll, I'll go. And and she goes. And mm-hmm. while she's there, she sees her go on stage. She sees Liza Minnelli go on stage. And she says, I can do that. Yeah. This is ridiculous. I'm better, better. I'm a better singer than she is. I love that I did too. confidence when she said that. I love that. And she want- says, uh, I'm a better singer than she is. Sure, she's a great performer, but with practice, I can definitely do this. I want to perform again. And the next day, she decides to quit her job. I, I know. really I did too. I really responded to that and I thought, good for you. Good for you for having that moment of clarity, but having that confidence in yourself and saying, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. I thought actually what really that was that was Georgia Rules moment. I don't think she what really struck me is that's all the years of training, all the years of mentoring, all right. of that, all of that confidence and skill that Georgia had given to her. That's what was speaking in that moment. I don't know that she yes. she would have known. You, you get a sense that she knows, as a matter of fact, I am better than this person on stage, <laughs> yeah. and I just I love, love that. that moment. And that's why Me when too. she decides to quit a job, it doesn't even feel like a risk. She just yes, Christian. Yeah, it she, didn't. she just it didn't. knows, and I, that yes. that that moment validated Georgia to me. And I I would just would have loved to have known if she ever reached out and said, "This is still thanks to you." This is it didn't go to Juilliard, 
But I never would have known or had the confidence or the ability to articulate that confidence had it not been for you. I just wanted that moment, you know. Anyway, yeah. so from then on, her, her, she, you know, she just uh, success leads to success. She immediately joins, I guess, a local. I guess it feels like a. Uh, actually, no, she starts working at the Roaring Twenties, and I, yeah. I wish places like this still existed. You get a sense it's like a. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> So she's a waitress <laughs> who serves your food and then simultaneously goes, I'll be right back and hops on stage and sings a song and then comes back with a refill it. of your like Ar- Arnold Palmer and bread roll. I love it. And, I love it. and it's just like, it boy, sounds like, like, like something like some old timers kind of dining oh, slash bar. Totally I late, late love 70s. all that. I love all that. I yeah, love it's it. I just wish places around. like this still existed too. I, I, I do. Too. I would love it to be there. Um, and then she quickly moves on to, I guess, a, a local, I don't know, you get bar room, cover room band. But see, she, she just, she, she doesn't give too much information. She just says almost instantly the band is super successful in the local community makes it on television Coxon's army it's called the band yeah they're making they're making a thousand she's making a grand a, a month i think and back then it's which is yes what she said was a lot because their rent was like a hundred bucks or something right like but there's no explanation of what it's like to be on stage what the band was like who the, it's literally a paragraph of the book and i was frustrated by that. that that i don't even think it's a yeah. I mean, she talks about it very briefly yeah uh, just saying that they became so, pretty well known so well known in fact regionally that there's even a story about them on pbs right i think she talks yes, about there's a does. documentary or something yeah so here's why and i don't want to you know go out out of order completely i'm gonna bring it back here but why that bothered me is like you just gave me one paragraph and in fact you sort of told the story as if it's already over with but she'll, she she gave us <laughs> she, she gave she us did. five straight pa- five straight pages of finding the best place to get married in Maui with spider. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, lady, someone that needs nickname. to sit you down. That nickname. I know. Christian, when I saw your notes, I laughed because I thought, oh my gosh, I thought the same about that. Right. I just didn't. I have to refer to him as Neil. I just can't. So did I. So unfortunately, we, we should tell our readers <laughs> that the love of her life is nicknamed spider and throughout the entire book she refers to him a grown man as spider and i <laughs> that's what i kept thinking and i just first of all it is the worst nickname ever given to a person it's so stupid and i just thought god do you, i don't want to participate in this nonsense can't you, can't you there should be two versions of your book one where you call him spider and one where you call him neil and i want the other one and it was so irritating. All my notes say Neil. <laughs> I could not call. I could not bring myself to call grown man spider. I, if you remember, in <laughs> Dean, Dean Wareham in his memoir makes fun of rock stars who have those one name monikers like Bono and Sting and and spiders. Just one. Yeah, I do remember. They're that. all ridiculous. But anyway, so that's Neil's name, the <laughs> spider. But anyway, so after she's successful with this, and I love it, very quickly, she sees an article about Happening Place to Catch a Rising Star in New York, which is a super famous club. And right away, she instantly, it's like, what I really liked about her, though, once she got that momentum going, she just didn't rest. As soon as she realized where the next opportunity yeah. was, she didn't think twice. But here's the crazy part. I admired part. that. I loved it too. I loved it too. It, it just felt like, yeah, this is what I do next. She I'm meant so, business. She meant business. Yes. 
I, I responded to that greatly. No hesitation. Once she knew what her, the path was and she got back on it, there's no more skipping Juilliard editions. You know, in a way you can say that <laughs> you could really say that served its purpose because she, it, it, it gave her a, a picture of what life was with not following that dream. And once she had that context and perspective, there was, there was zero doubt moving forward once she got back on the path. So um, what was jarring, though, is while she's in this band, Cox and whatever, and while she goes... Cox and Zarmy. Okay, fine. <laughs> and while she's working at Roaring Twenties, handing out bread rolls and then singing songs, and while she then moves to New York to perform at Catch a Rising Star, just, just to chase her dreams, she is still simultaneously married to poor Dennis Benatar. It's, I mean, I can't... You could feel... The way in which she did not want to talk about that marriage, and I'm, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even, yes. I, not to say that that it was toxic or I hate that word, or that it was a bad marriage, a terribly bad marriage. You just really got a sense that it was a subject of no interest. But I, like it or not, I did want to know more. Like, how do you convince your then husband? Hey, I completely don't want to work at the bank anymore. I'm done. Oh being no! A- well, she says it. She right. says it. He, but, she says that he wants to be her manager. And of course he did. He wasn't working. Right. I still wanted to know more about that. Like, well. Oh, about well, him? Yeah. What is the, what is he like? What are the mechanics of your new life like? What was your, she just says it was not a great marriage. And it was off and on through the next, I think, is it four or six years or eight years? It's a while. Yeah, she was with him for, I think it was eight years, Christian. Okay. Well, since, you know. We're there. I, she does a thing, Martha. You and I have developed. Pat, we've, I think, we've sensed patterns to, to rock stars. Oh. Okay. Oh, yes. we've, we've come across a lot of patterns. Oh yeah. To rock stars, she's right? got a, She's got another one. I call it the Phil Collins. Okay. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, I'm laughing because when I got to that point of the book, I thought, Oh no, here we go. <laughs> These people, these rock stars are Cupid's crazy. Cupid's arrow just hits them hard, boy. <laughs> yeah. The, what they'll do is they will tell you about how much they're in love with another person. And I'm sure it's real, but they are simultaneously married to somebody else. And it's like oh, the... It's, poor Dennis. It's the Phil Collins move. And I got to say, I really thought she was purposefully dis- disingenuous and the way she told the story in the book. So she does the classic. About uh, Neil? Yeah. The way the book kicks off, it's, it's memoir 101. You, you choose an exciting moment of your life, which is sort of subsequent to success. You, you tell it like real time, <laughs> real time style. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, you're going to kick me back to the past and say I was born in the backwards, you know, town of Chicago with traditional parents, right? Her real-time kickoff story is the first time she meets Spider, okay? And I I did think it was... Yeah, I did think it was... I I, I liked... I don't know if likes the right word. Is it, It was a little vulnerable to just reveal how much she loves her husband and how just crazy about him she was from the start i mean i loved that i i I did too i did too and and she definitely tells you the story like the second she sees this man she she does a good job of communicating i just belong to him i had no defenses i was hypnotized yeah you really believe it 
Yes. But she writes the opening sentence. She tucks it in there that makes you think that she is, I, maybe I misread it, Martha. I got the sense that she was in the process of getting divorced from him. And I think that she... From Dennis. Yes. And she, she's like, don't, you know, I'm not, you know, some, I'm not some terrible cat or anything. I was in the process of getting divorced. Don't get me wrong. But later on, when she retells the story, not even remotely. They are definitely still married. Now, are, are, are they having a frozen marriage of no fun? Absolutely. But she is still totally married. It's only much later, after Spider joins her band. <laughs> Can we call him some? Uh, okay. Neil. Fine. Just call, uh, Neil. I can't with Spider. Yeah. <laughs> after Neil joins the band, he, and he's been in it for a while. I think they've even recorded an album. Haven't they recorded the album? Uh-huh. Correct. Only then. Yes. Does she say, I need to initiate divorce proceedings? So I call it the Phil Collins move, where you tell the reader how or how in love you are with somebody, but while kind of conveniently leaving out that you are still legally married. And it's like, I don't like it because they're dragging you into it. It's like you're... you're <laughs> and I'm not... Look, I believe that she felt how she felt. I'm not criticizing her for any of that. But it's like you're, I, I feel like I'm being made complicit in the act, Martha. Because Well, in all fairness, in all fairness to Pat, okay. you know, she does state at one moment that both she and Neil were in relationships. He was actually dating Linda Blair. I know. And, and, uh, and you know, she does say that, you know, even though she had all of these feelings for him, she was not going to get in the way of a relationship. And she said that it was very obvious and palpable that he felt similarly towards her, but neither of them was going to, you know, they weren't going to do anything uh, about it because, you know, uh, she was still married and he was in a, in a relationship. Granted, he wasn't married to her, but he was dating her. But nonetheless, that was his girlfriend. So he, they both were in relationships at the time. But yes, I mean, I think she does. You're right. I mean, I think that there comes a moment where you're like, wait a minute, were you divorced or not? Or what was right. happening at this point? Because at, at one point it is a little bit unclear. And then she yes. finally clarifies like, yeah, no, it just got to the point where I had to just end this marriage. Right. Uh, and so, and so she does. Yeah. I just thought she was purposefully ambiguous at the beginning to suit this, to sto the story as she told it. And I also thought it was super weird for, I'm being polite. He's, and I love, if you don't know who Linda Blair is, if you're listening, that's strange. She was the lead uh, child star of The Exorcist. And I thought that was the craziest. I was like, oh, wow, what a new piece of information. That <laughs> I know, I thought the same. Yeah, Spider was dating the, the demon-possessed child, Linda Blair. But he's equally flirting overtly with Pat Benatar while he's with Linda Blair. I'm like, well, that yeah. that's not cool. And then, which is doubly strange, is he basically tries to confide in Pat Benatar. And he knows, he's, he's got to know <laughs> that she's completely into him. He does. He chooses her in whom yes. to confide. She's like, what's yes. the matter? What's the matter? And, and it's to her that he says, I think Linda's cheating on me. And I'm like, I, this is the weirdest <laughs> I can't, I can't keep any of this straight. I don't, you can. And her reaction, I have to say, yeah. I laughed out loud because her reaction when he tells her that Linda Blair is cheating, he was looking for a different kind of comforting that evening. Right. You know, like telling her that part. And she was but, thrilled um, to give it. 
<laughs> well, she doesn't though. She doesn't remember that they that nothing happens. He tells her that. I know, but, but then oh, he he um, in her mind, you know, she says that she's. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was such a woman thing where she says, I thought, you know, I think I think for any men reading this, they really got a lot of insight right now into what women can really be like, because, you know, she tells he tells her he tells her, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, she's cheating on me. And of course, inside she tells us she's thinking like, hell, yeah, now you're mine. Right. But of course, she has to play the very sympathetic friend. And she's like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. So sorry. But inside her head, she's thinking, that's it. This is it. He's mine. He's all mine. Thanks, Linda Blair, for cheating on him, right? Wow. So, um, you guys, you guys play that- the long game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hysterical because I think any woman that would read that would absolutely 100% relate. But uh, nonetheless, nothing nothing ends up happening, though, even yeah. though I, I think he was looking for something to happen, but nothing happens. Well, so then, so that happens, and then um, that's that's the that's the way the romance begins with uh, her husband. Okay, so you know, I guess I'm a broken record, Martha. But then, okay, what begins to happen? She doesn't write any of her songs. Okay, she all, all no, she writes no, some no, of no, 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 zero. So the first song. That comes her way that's written by somebody else is a is heartbreaker okay right and i think i'm sure knowing my proclivities and how i'm hardwired this is where i really checked out ba- oh. basically she okay she pat benazar plays zero instruments okay and and does not write any of this music heartbreaker comes along and apparently she changes some of the lyrics and when the song is subsequently released She's upset she doesn't get songwriting credit. And I, I was just done. I'm done with this person. Martha, if I take the song Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, if I change some of the lyrics of that song and then go sing it, do you think I deserve songwriting credit on Bob Dylan's? No, that's not your song, Christian. That is Sorry. correct. And this is not her song either. And this is what I mean by this woman has a disproportionate sense of what credit is. And and value and it's like I, I I've always had this problem with with me, the the music business. It's like a billion people can sing this song, but for whatever reason, you know, we just put a name out there and an image, and you actually are believing that you have a talent that is proportionate to the success, fame, and dollars. But you are not the golden nugget. The golden nugget is the person who wrote that song. The golden nugget is Neil, who is writing these songs for you. You're Pat Benatar. You've got an amazing... You know what? I don't think she understands. And I liked at the very end of the book where she concludes by saying, I just like to sing Broadway show tunes. And I'm like, yes, that is you. That is, And that's great. You have an amazing voice. It's a beautiful voice. And you can sing great songs. And that's it. That's your part. Somebody else writes the song when it's your turn and they're ready for you to do your part just like but the that's gu- a big part christian just that's like still a big part. just like the guitarist just like the drummer these are all talented people and i don't and i just have never understood this thing and she definitely subscribes to it she thinks she's pat benatar she thinks that she because she was born with a ta- with a voice a genetic disposition that you and i don't have that somehow trans- well speak for yourself mister right 
<laughs> I know, I know. You're a karaoke, you know, banshee of talent. I get that. But Martha, I, I've said it. I've said it before. I'm six foot four. As a matter of fact, period. Do you want to know what I did to achieve that? Absolutely nothing. So what? That just happened naturally. <laughs> and I, and while I understand that Pat Benatar took voice lessons to perfect her gift, that you see what I'm saying? I know you do. I know you do. Pat Benatar doesn't. And I just I can't stand these people who have. Well, you know, I I don't I don't I don't feel quite as strongly about this. Oh, perhaps I do. Because I'm, perhaps because I'm also a singer, you know, and I sing. Oh songs yeah. By other people. <laughs> yeah. Just it, all you got to do is go sing like a Rolling Stone, and it's your song. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Bob Dylan but, is just some guy. But I don't. I honestly, in all seriousness, though, Christian. I, I understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. And and to some degree, I agree with what you're saying. But I also feel that the voice that interprets those songs is, is as important in a different way. Because, you know, um, and I've always said this, everyone, you know, can sing, right? Everyone has some ability or some, or thinks they do. Uh, but... You know, those there, there are those unique voices, and those voices, you know, they're, not everyone can do it and can do it well. And so I do think that that singers also deserve some credit because if it wasn't their voice... It would be somebody it, else's, Martha. It would, it would be somebody, somebody else's, Somebody else's Christian. six foot four. It's, <laughs> it would be somebody else's, but it wouldn't be that person that we've grown accustomed to hearing singing those songs. But that has nothing to do with that. I know, I know. I understand what you're saying. But I, I, I don't think that to discredit a singer is saying you're just a voice. I, I don't know. I, I feel I feel that it's it's more than that. Do you too, know how many people have covered Hallelujah? Do you think it's their voices? Or maybe it's Leonard Cohen's song. I understand. I just, this one, I would die on a hill. I don't care if I was fighting the universe and everyone said, you're wrong. I'd say, no, you are wrong. You've got it all backwards. And this is where I just, again, I don't want, I, I, I feel like I have to I validate an, a notion of the universe that she has. And that's why I don't want her at my dinner table. I still would want her yeah, at my I dinner don't. table. I, <laughs> she, I don't. Like she would be really nice, pleasant company to have at a dinner table and and just, uh, you know, and hanging out. I don't know. I still want her over. Pat, if you're listening, you're welcome at my dinner table. It's, if, if, if she ate food served by Mario Batali, does that mean she's a great cook because she ate it? I think she would think so. Oh, Christian. <laughs> I, def- I think so. I don't. She There's a portion in the book where she says, I couldn't. Okay. So apparently... The record executives at, at Chrysalis are—they're my favorite so far because they are so upfront and their position, which is it's hostile and we just want to make money, and they and they do not hide the ball about who they are. I'm not saying they're great people, but they are certainly upfront about their position, right, Martha? Yes. Okay. So uh, from they, the get go. Oh, from the get go. And there's a moment of the book, which is amazing. Some They say to her face, do you realize, because she's complaining that the band isn't getting enough credit, she wants them in the photographs. And the executive just, just very casually says, do you realize how naive and stupid you sound? 
Nobody cares about the band. It's just you and your image. And she, of course, is offended and aghast. And I wasn't at all. I'm like, that's the business these people are in. And and by the way, we've had this conversation again, Martha. If you felt differently, Pat Benatar, you could have had a band, okay? But but you didn't do that. So she's really livid on behalf of her soon-to-be husband, Neil, because he's sitting right next to her when the executive says this. She couldn't believe an executive would say that out loud. I wasn't offended at all. I'm like, he's just stating business out loud as he sees it, business as it's been, okay? Yeah, but it didn't make it right for him to say that. I mean, it could have been- I don't know. It could have been what it was, but it was still, you know, it was still disrespectful and rude. I would have gotten angry too. I mean, I don't think that- Okay, but here's my point. I, I hear what you're saying is that later on in the book, she casually says, these are her words and I'm quoting her, Neil came up with the melodic stuff. The way in which she just just casually dismissed or tried to equalize the creative genius, the 90% bringer of the band, I just, this woman's sense of contribution was massively disproportionate. Hugely. And that just kept coming up for me over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, you mean, oh, you mean that creative stuff that the Beatles did? I see. You you have a store and you sell the records and you think that's a 50-50 contribution to the people who make the records. <laughs> I mean, I could be here all day with the analogies. You see what I'm saying? She actually, and here's, here's another one. Pat Benatar moment. I just crack up. He gets so impassioned by this. I do. He's so well, impassioned. I love here's it. A, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Martha. And I think it's fair. It's proportionate to them. It's proportionate to what they're saying. If they don't bring it up, then I'm just reading the story and I don't care. But the second they raise it to the next level and say, hey, I'm a bastion of, you know, I'm breaking rules and I'm a, you know what I mean? I'm this creative avatar and I fight the man. Well, suddenly now you've brought politics and you've you've raised the level. And now, but no, but she does say on page fifty three, she oh boy. says, "What does she, she say?" She credits her she credits her husband Neil, uh-huh. and for succeeding to the degree that she did. And she says, "I am not responsible for it. We are responsible." For we it. no no no. He is ninety percent. I don't think a ninety ten percent split is we. That's my point. That's not a we. I, no way, no I, day. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's hello. I disagree, Christian. Yeah, I disagree. I'll tell you, you get get on a seesaw with ninety ten and see how much success you have going back and forth. You won't. I I disagree because I think that you know she ultimately was the. The person getting up there and singing those songs. And, and so was and the drummer singing. getting up there playing the drums. And I the understand was, that. Then I how, understand that. Then, but You know what? If Pat Benatar were at my table, she wouldn't know why, but I would just be seething. I would just be looking at her <laughs> and glaring the whole time. I'd say, hey, I guess you're like Shakespeare because you know, you've got a book in a bookstore, right? And, she, and you know what? She, 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 she'd probably think, like, why, why is this man attacking me? <laughs> and I think that the craziest part to this is that I can actually see you sitting there with your arms crossed. Yes. I was just, you should have seen me reading this in public. I'd look just livid. I can totally picture you doing that to you. Yeah. The funniest 
part of this whole thing to me. I was reading no, it. Christian, oh, yeah. No, Christian. No. In public. She's right. She is oh, right. Don't... I agree with Pat. I agree with Pat. You're not going to rile me up. But while I was reading this in public, feeling this way, a friend of mine came up to me and she said, oh, I love Pat Benatar. I'm glad you're reading the book. And I just didn't know what to say. I, I just said, yeah. <laughs> you walked, you, yeah, walked you, you got up and laughed and you stormed off. <laughs> I said, you know what I said to her is you should rename this place Pat Benatar's Beard because I'm sure she's had a beer in her life once oh, before. Stop <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. stop it. Do you want to know? It's a, sen- a disproportionate sense of ego. And there's another example. I couldn't, I, whoo, I had to put the book down. I, I feel like we read two entirely different Yeah, I books, think so. Christian. Well, do you remember Do you remember when the world became a better place because Pat Benatar read about abused children and what she did as a result? Oh, what was that song? Um, Hell you know, is she for wrote children. That song. She wrote that no, song. No, 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 she didn't. Yes, she did. She wrote yes, she did. the lyrics to that song. Okay. Well, yeah, she wrote the lyrics. She wrote So the, don't say she didn't say I she mean, wrote the song. Martha, no, if, wrote, you, if you take those lyrics and go to an open mic night, you're reading a poem. Oh, my goodness. Christ. I'm dead serious. Where would you she be? No, 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 no. I, there's a billion people in the universe have got journals filled with poetry. They don't go around saying, I wrote the song. The, by definition, she didn't. She wrote lyrics. And she casually happens to wake up to this guy named Neil, who's a, who's a creative thunder wizard. Christian, you're, yes. you're making me start speaking in Spanish. That's, 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 a, that's a sign that I'm getting. It's like... <laughs> It's, it's like if I woke up to Paul McCartney every day and I go, hey, I wrote a poem this morning and I'm going to leave this on the desktop for Paul McCartney. Oh, my gosh. Look what he did with it. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, Kristen. Oh, my. Goodness. Wow. OK, moving, and, moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> but OK, so it reminded me what she does is she treats us to like we'll call it the Bruce Springsteen effect. And if you remember. Remember when 9-11 comes along, you know, he, the gladiator we need is Bruce Springsteen. Okay. She, she, the way she talks about it, it's like, uh, she never knew that child abuse existed and she just couldn't stand around anymore. And she takes up the torch. And I just, (sighs) it's just rock and roll. (laughs) It's rock and roll. Uh... It's rock and roll. Just. <laughs> Christian, just, I just have to say that. It just. <laughs> you just get so worked up. I do. I love it. I because rock and roll is serious business, man. I get it. I get it. Look, I get worked up about shit, too. I get it. Yeah. But it cracks me up because it's a book. It's just a book. And I know. That if I met these two people, they would both hate me. Both Neil and Pat would, as a Spidey. team. Yeah, <laughs> Spidey. <laughs> he, he he wouldn't take my side. I'd say I'd say Spider. I'm trying to to give you credit where it's due, and he would just beat me up and say that's my wife. I love her. And you see, the thing is, I do think I do think that he I I you know I, again I feel like added he added Christian added because I feel <laughs> what no go ahead go ahead. Oh, I said, um, I almost feel like we read two different books. I did not, I did not. She credited him so much with without the book. Uh, You know, I disagree, Christian. I felt that she, 
genuine. You know, I I will say this. I loved her love and admiration for her husband. I oh, yes. truly did. I, yes. I I I was, you know, I thought to myself, you know, and I and I think that's why I liked her. She just to me came across as someone who's so devoted to her husband, yes. who adores him, who you know, and I think to me I feel like I think part of the reason maybe that I I didn't read it that way is because in part because they are married. And I feel that when you're married, it is a partnership. And you bring and you give and the other person brings and gives. And I felt that she was fair. You know, I think sometimes couples, they take, they do end up taking the credit, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's we, we, we. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, what is this person bringing? What is this other person bringing? And in her case, I felt that Throughout the book, she was very, very generous with her praise of him, with crediting him with so much. I mean, she truly, literally states in the book, you know, um, he pushes me. Sometimes I'm just lazy and he pushes me and and I complain about it, but he keeps pushing me. Uh, and, and she credits him because she says, you know, and in the end, he's always right. For a woman, that, she did say for, that. Yes, for, for a wife to say he is always right. That is huge, Christian. It is. That, that is, is huge, and she says that in a couple of instances throughout the book, where she says, "And he's always right." And I thought to myself, "You know what? Way to go, Pat Benatar. You know you you are good. You're a good you're a good lady. You you really are. I mean, she good wife. And so I." And yeah, yeah, she's a good wife. Sure. And I felt, you. and I thought to myself, and I think because of that, and because she is so vocal about not only her, her, you know, love for him, but her praise for him and the praise for his talent uh, throughout, that I did not read any of it that way. I thought that she was, in fact, crediting him. I thought that she was, in fact acknowledging just how crucial a role he has played in her success. And yes, you know, it's a we because they're not only a musical partnership, but they're a life partnership. So it's, you know, double, right? So so I didn't uh I I didn't take it that way. And I don't think that he would either because I imagine that he sees it the same way. I mean, they've been married forever, you know, and so I, I imagine that at this point they probably they're so intertwined with each other in their life and every aspect of it that it is it is them. It is the two of them. And one couldn't do it without the other, just like you can in marriage, you know, I think. And so, no, I I, I completely saw it differently and I read it very differently. Let me clarify. He, yeah. she, she does extol his talents throughout the book without question. She what I objected to was the way in which she would equalize herself with him. That's just not true. And just because being in a romantic relationship with him did not increase her artistic contribution. And no, but you know what, Christian? I, said, I don't think I don't think that she but you know, but that's just it. I disagree with that. I don't think that she If I marry Paul McCartney, I'm not suddenly John Lennon. Of course not. But she I don't thinks think, differently. I don't think so. You see, that's where I think you and I see it differently. Because she again, repeatedly says, there are days I don't want to do some of these things that he wants me to do. But that's being, that's different than creative contribution. You're talking no, no, about I understand. work ethic. 
No, correct. But even in terms of that, she said like there were times where she just didn't feel like writing at that moment. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, she does say that. And, oh. and she, and she credits him with, no, here, you have to write this, you know? And so, no, I, I, you, we need more I lyrics. See differently. <laughs> Cause, I see it. I see it differently. Cause, Cause he couldn't come up with lyrics. I'm sure. I see it differently. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's why we're here, folks. Just to hash it out. <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> you know, I mean, she does. I thought actually she did a great, there's a great moment of the book where you really do get a sense of how creative he is, where she discusses how he takes the, again, he didn't write the song, Love is a Battlefield, one of her biggest hits. Oh, that is my jam. Let me okay. tell you. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you, Pat Benatar, for Thank creating you. that genius <laughs> from start to finish. She discusses the creative process where Spider, oh God, I can't believe I said that, Neil, he hears the song, but he hears something uh, different in his mind. And the creative way he takes, he gives sort of the loosest bones of the song to the musicians, like in a parking lot, basically to empty their minds of any preconceived notions, except for this beat he has in mind. And he just takes, they all come to different conclusions. I don't know if I even read it correctly, if it was explained correctly, but he just took such an avant-garde approach to the creation or interpretation of exactly. that song. I really yes, love that. Yeah, I love, and the outcome yeah. was just such a monster hit, with which Neil, yes. Neil came up with. Yes, Neil. he came up with the song as we know it, because originally it was written as a ballad. Right, I'd love to hear the song he, that way. Me too, actually, yeah. Christian. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. That's what I thought of as well. Uh, and and she talks about how, yes, he absolutely just reinvents it musically. And of course, as we've read in so many other books, Christian, uh, you know, the the music uh, or the, the record company uh, originally just doesn't like it. They think it's not very good. They think it's too dancey. And that it's not really her sound. And they proceed to tell them this is awful. Uh, <laughs> but it's awful. it stays. <laughs> I love I love record executives. At this point, they they have to serve the role of the villain in these stories. <laughs> they really do. I love right. them. Love them. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I just and this these were my They're favorite all jerks, villains. right? They're all jerks. They just give these... it to the artistry. Like this is bullshit. We don't like it. Go back and make and write yeah. a good song. <laughs> These people were my favorite because they whip, they use that whip so consistently. Every, oh my every gosh, time, every, they were awful. So Pat, Pat Bet Benatar, who wrote every album, sung every song, played every instrument, released an album. Every time she released an album, oh, Christian, every you. the second they're touring, which is maybe eight to nine months later, while they're on the road. That seemed like a very crazy schedule to me, it too. Did. That was like excessive, right? While, it did. While they're on the road, the record company's like, you got to get back in the studio and start writing more music. And the second <laughs> Pat Benatar and her underlings said, whoa, wait a minute, we need more time. The they didn't, record executives are cutthroat, man. They held up the contract and said, we will basically sue you and shelf any future projects if you do not do what we tell you. And they just got, they just whipped them over and over and over. And so there's a moment where, uh, and again, so here's, here, I'll tell you, okay, you ready? Here's more, more, more stuff. The record executive takes her outside. And you, ma I imagine him in a suit and tie, all suave, at like 55 or 60, right? And he's British. And he takes her outside and he basically 
very calmly and rationally, and I'm sure in a very patronizing way, tells her how it is and how it's going to be and what you're going to do and you're not going to do. And he even belittles her and says, you Americans, you just, you have just all these attitudes and you just, it's like dealing with you American people is just so exhausting. And she slaps him in the street. Yes. And see, Martha, she, I, I, I wanted to raise my hand and go, excuse me, if a man did that to you, you think that would be funny? But you're telling well, the story. Well, they did other things. Well, they did other things. And they that didn't make it okay. Women. No, 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 no. Well, that no, doesn't... no, it didn't. I'm not saying that it made but, it okay. But she told but her story saying... as if she were an empowered woman. And this was all okay. And she was just hitting back figuratively, literally. And he deserved it. And it was all okay. And I just felt like picking and choosing, man. Picking and choosing. And I. that's, again, that was the theme of the book for me. And, and well, I just felt well, yeah, like, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think, and no, I agree. I mean, I don't think anyone should be hitting anyone, but certainly the men, uh, you know, are never, you know, they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. Do you, uh, oh, to uh, sure. Her, so. I, but that, that doesn't make a wrong doesn't make, I mean, hello. It just, I'm not saying that I'm just so, pointing out the fact that the, that, you know, by you saying, oh, well, she was doing all, yes, but you never, you know. What? Haven't heard you say anything about the men as what the to the word what they were doing, if that was wrong or not. So, so if we're gonna be fair, let's be fair. Both both actions were wrong. I agree both with the you. men patronizing I agree and with being you. condescending were wrong. And her slapping him was not right either. But she never said that. It's just the men did everything wrong and I had to slap him because that's what was happening. And I just thought that's not that's not no. No. I'm, and, and I'm st- and I'm re- and I'm reading her book. I'm reading her book. She's trying to. This is my story. And let me. And I. Well, it, had she been sitting in the room with me, I'd say, "Wait a minute." I would have stopped her to say, "Wait a minute." This, you I would have stopped her from yeah. eating her dinner. I would have. Yeah, I, I would say, "Yeah, put your fork down." <laughs> you need to be leaving right. my house now. Leave <laughs> no, my I'd house. say, and I'm sure you're going to slap me at any second. And it's going to end up in your book. Oh, <laughs> you know aye, aye, about aye. what a dick I was. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you want. And you know what? And, and I think, and I, here's, and, th- and again, this is no, this part is it, Pat Benesmar can't control. And I do know that I brought some of this with me to it. For all the complaining about how record companies were and they treated her as a sexual commodity and so forth, I look at the, I look at the musical landscape today and I'm like, Miley Cyrus is naked on stage, gyrating in, in every sexual manner she can. And uh, nothing's changed. It, th- nothing's changed, Martha. And so I don't want to hear any more complaining then. It's either you have... <laughs> what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, aye, aye, aye. this is the industry and you are doing this by choice. That's the business you're in. You signed up for it. If you want to go with these big labels, at this point, that seems to be... What I will agree with you about is that with with Madonna, you, like for, even from the very beginning, even as, in a chi- as a child, when I saw Madonna, I got a sense, oh, this is somebody who sold her soul to the devil. She'll do anything to be successful. With Pat Benatar, I didn't get that vibe. So I, under- right. I, I did understand her point is that I didn't, that's not the deal I wanted to make. I didn't want to sell my soul to the devil. Yes. And I'm still dealing, however, with the expectations yes. or behaviors that they would apply to those people. And I and I could uh, completely right. understand how that must suck 
I mean, I don't know how to put it. That is just, I don't, I don't. And that experience of hers is true and, and it's got to be terrible. And I'm with her. I'm with her on that point. Um, it's just a loaded thing, you know, but she brought it up. She brought it up because she's a rock star, you know. And that's why we're reading about Pat Benatar. So let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, what I did, there's something about her that was fascinating. I, I'd never met, it's the first person we've met who had a, sense of her career and her catalog as this economic entity that needed to be managed, maintained, and taken care of in a responsible yes. way. Yes. Yes. That was very refreshing. Yeah. It was she was actually forward thinking. Yes, both right. Yes. Right. And she talks about that, how both she and Neil yes. uh, were very cautious about the choices that they made, the financial risks yes. that they took. Uh, so, and that was, I think, I think it's fair to say, Christian, that that was probably, or this was probably one of the first times that we've read about rock yes. being, being financially, uh, cautious. Yeah, I know. Responsible. That was like radical to me. I thought that was more <laughs> rock and roll than that I That was the read. most rock and roll. Yes. Yes. That was like the most rock and roll thing. I mean, the fact that these people were, they, were conscientious enough to worry about money. Yeah. They were, they are also they had their uh they were constantly aware or made the, a choice to be aware of changes in technology what effect would that have on songs and how to make them and they would okay. t- test the waters and think about what does this mean for the future of recording and i i was really struck i was like wow this is somebody who's really figured out an amazing she cultivated a really remarkable life because she's, you know, you and I have read about these artists who they're no longer making hits and they decide she's no different. She's recording an album of, of blues songs, right? And wow. he, I mean, you can totally sit, tell this, the, the ship of success has passed, but what's remarkable is that she and her husband figure out a way to release songs basically on their own where they've got independent control. And she said something amazing. Even though they're no longer selling millions of units, she says that at the small scale at which they're selling records, but that gives them the profits, they made more money doing that than they ever did when they were selling out stadiums. And then she goes on to, she, the way she talked about how she, she appears on television shows that are popular, just she and her husband portraying themselves or on a variety of like popular television shows. And the way she's just like a money-making machine and i i really respected i that. thought that was savvy oh, I, thought I thought that, that was, was savvy yeah the minimum amount of expenditure is making so much more money than she'd ever made before as it should Kill, be yeah killing as herself i thought that was really savvy and really um like people should take note that's what people yes. should be paying attention to is, is the life she created for herself was really uh breakthrough no we would never seen it, it before no, and you know, um, going back a little bit, backtracking a little bit, one of the things that I did not realize, Christian, that she mentions, which I was a little surprised about, and then I thought, I don't remember this, but it's also been a long time. You know, I I am old enough to have seen uh, when MTV first launched. And so I remember you know, our little next door neighbors and my brother and I being glued to the TV because this thing called MTV was going to be starting and we were just dying to see what it was going to be about. 
And I remember the first video, as everyone who experienced that when MTV first came to the scene remembers, and, you know, it was Video Killed the Radio Star, right? And I remember that song and that video being on constant rotation. I think it must have played over and over and over on MTV. But she talks about how one of her videos was the second video that ever played. And I don't remember that. I don't know if you saw MTV when it first launched, Christian, but I did. And I don't remember that. The video? I don't remember. I remember. I remember. Video killed the radio star being show. That was like because I, the way that MTV kicked off was that you saw the rocket and it was the countdown and then it was you know like kick off like it launched right and then that video came on. I mean I saw this when it first happened. I don't remember her video coming on coming on after that. In fact, I think I remember that video just playing over and over again. Yeah. I don't remember her. I don't either. I, I don't either. Yeah, I don't remember it at all. You know, so, yeah. I'm tempted to say something here, but I don't want to keep beating the same thing, so I'm not going to bring it up. But it has Say it. <sighs> okay, you asked for it, Martha. Oh no, never mind. Well, say okay, it. then so let's move on. <laughs> let's end on a positive note because all I've got left is is Pat Benatar's contribution to 9-11, which again, we just, I, I couldn't take it. And, but I do encourage our listeners to go look up the lyrics because, you Christmas know, in because, because that's a 50-50 split that she wrote to Christmas in America. And I'd like you all to go, go look up the lyrics to that. Don't listen to the music. I don't even know what the song sounds like. Nobody does. And just read the lyrics and ask yourself if, you know, that's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right there. Christmas in America. Oh my gosh! Uh, I I didn't read it. I just I I just needed to get read through the book. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't read that song. Super quickly, she's got a concert coincidentally scheduled for nine eleven. She assumes it's going to be canceled, and no, the show must go on. And then she, of course, leads the people in the crowd to healing. And somebody in the crowd says, well, "How how are we going to celebrate Christmas?" I, I was stunned. It reminded me of that Bruce Springsteen moment. It reminded little, me of that Bruce Springsteen moment. A oh. little. Um, you know what? I'm not one of those people who who hates America or Americans and thinks we're just all McDonald's. But when I heard that person in the audience say, what about Christmas? I was floored. And then her response was even worse. Like, we are going to, don't worry. We're going to do what we do best. We're going to celebrate Christmas. I, I I was embarrassed for her, the publishers, myself. And then I was treated to her lyrics for the song about Christmas. Yourself. Yeah, I could. Oh, you've got to read these lyrics. In fact, our next T-shirt for this season is just going to be the lyrics to Christmas on the back. But then we're going to have to pay her for, you know, t-shirt. I love Christmas. We're going to have to pay her T-shirt royalties because she created T-shirts. You know, I, I actually really <laughs> love Christmas. I don't, I really do. I don't like Christmas so music, I. though. So that's partly the re, that's partly well, the reason that I didn't read the lyrics because I don't really care for Christmas music. But I do love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday after my birthday. Love it. Okay. Love well, it. I'm sure Pat Benatar <laughs> will take credit for you loving it. And Pat Benatar will take credit for you having Christmas. <laughs> she saved Christmas by writing a song about Christmas. Oh, my goodness. So well, I just take it you didn't really care for this book, I gather. 
I, she, she got in the way of her own story, if that makes sense. I wanted, I liked her, I want to read, I always want to read stories. So, well, yeah, I, I, I wish she had not gotten in the way of her own story, if that makes sense. It was just constant interjection. I enjoyed it. Okay, there you go. I enjoyed it. Pat, you are welcome to have dinner with me. Yeah, well. I am now a vegetarian. I don't know if you are, but I will, I will serve you some good vegetarian food. (laughs) Podcasting is a battlefield, Martha. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, if I ever if I ever meet Pat Benatar now, it's going to be embarrassing. But she, of course, you know. What are you going to say to her? She might not know who I. Am. She might not know who I am. Well, uh, I'm going I'm to say, please <laughs> tell me more about Lilith Fair. By all means, I, that was just riveting. Tell me more. Hi, <laughs> Christian. All right. What are we going to do note, with you? Let's, let's keep it positive. It's, <laughs> Right. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you everybody for returning to join us as we explore more books written by musicians like Pat Benatar. Yes, thank you for joining us. We will see you next time on the other end. Yes, thank you for listening, everyone. Goodbye.